Method to the Madness is next. You're listening to Method to the Madness, a bi-weekly public affairs show on KALX Berkeley, celebrating Bay Area innovators. I'm your host, Nicholas Lalo, and today I'm going to be interviewing Vicki Lee, an earth science researcher and science communicator at NASA Ames Research Center in Mountain View, California. Welcome to the show, Vicki. So you work at the NASA Ames Research Center, and in particular, you work with the NASA DEVELOP program. Mind explaining what the NASA DEVELOP program is? So NASA DEVELOP is a program within the applied sciences, and what we do is we partner with other organizations, non-governmental, governmental, um, different agencies, and we partner with them to utilize NASA Earth observation data, satellite data, and we apply that to different environmental concerns and issues that they have. What are some sort of environmental concerns that you might apply it to? So, for example, one of the main projects I've been working on is with the Navajo Nation. And what we've been doing is figuring out how we can use NASA satellite data, precipitation data, and apply that to different drought monitoring efforts that they have. And it's it's a really arid and dry place. It's located in the, the four corners of um, Arizona, Utah, New Mexico, and Colorado. People may be familiar with Monument Valley. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and so when you're driving out there, you're just seeing these big red rocks, blue skies, beautiful country out there. Um, but it's also a lot, there's also a lot of challenges. And um, in particularly, it's looking at water. It's looking at water availability, and it's looking at how you monitor water. And this has been a challenge in the past, and with climate change, it's potentially going to be more variable, more difficult for monitoring water. Yeah, definitely. I think um, I think the biggest challenges in the Navajo Nation is how to how to monitor water and how to monitor drought on a continuous scale and with spatial um, continuity and spatial coverage. Why is NASA working with these communities? Speak about that that tension. Um, was it difficult to approach them, or did they approach you? Um, how did the connection start? Yeah, so how this partnership started between NASA and the Navajo Nation was through Cindy Schmidt, who's a longtime researcher out of NASA Ames in Mountain View, California. And she's been working with different indig- indigenous groups for over 10 years. Um, she put us in touch with this gentleman by the name of Ramsey, Um, with the Navajo Technical University. And then we started talking to the Department of Water Resources, and then we started talking to them about different issues that they're having. And um, one of them was looking at how how they collect water and looking at how they collect precipitation um, data in specific. And with that, how do they calculate... um, something called the SPI, or Standard Precipitation Index, something that tells how wet or dry an area is and sort of how severely, um, or sort of it's it's a gauge at looking at um, drought and whether an area is experiencing drought or not. So I want to take a step back here. Satellites can capture precipitation data? Yeah, so satellites can do all types of things. Um, I think that... 
what most people are most familiar with in terms of satellites is looking at land cover, looking at land cover change, um, or just looking at maps of the places that they want to go and the places that they do go. And they do that by taking a bunch of high-resolution images or low-resolution, depending on... Yeah, so it kind of depends on um, sort of the frequency that you're looking at and sort of the range um, in the electromagnetic spectrum that you're looking at. Maybe you're looking at red, green, blue, what we all look at in images and pictures that we see with our naked eye, um, i.e. maps that we use online, like Google Maps. But in other cases, you can also look at near-infrared or infrared um, or other parts of the spectrum to get other types of information that you wouldn't be able to with your with only your eyes. How have they been collecting data before this? They have rain gauge stations and rain gauge rain gauges all across the Navajo Nation. And that's sort of just like a bucket collecting water, and then they're recording the observations on any given day. Essentially, yeah. So they have it's essentially like a, a bucket, and then um, it collects rain <laughs> and then every single every single monthly they go out on a certain day of the month then they go out and drive to all of the rain cans and then um, measure what is what has been collected for that month so they were collecting data in buckets and having to drive around once per month why was that not sufficient they actually still do that. They go out and still collect all of the rain gauge data monthly. But, you know, one of the things is the Navajo Nation is the biggest native territory in the U.S. in both population and size. I mean, it's the size of West Virginia. To drive out and collect all of that data takes a lot of time. And um, to maintain those places, and some of those places are also um, rain stations, weather stations. And so um, to maintain those also takes a lot of upkeep. So the utility of using satellite data is that it is continuous and regular, and it doesn't, you don't have to go out and get it. You just go onto your computer and download it. And it can be more precise, too. Yeah. I mean, it provides spatial um, coverage versus having like one rain gauge and having just one point. You can look at entire areas and you can look at precipitation and how it covers all this area. And then you're able to take that precipitation data, compare it to um, a historical average and be able to say much more about a whole territory, a whole area than you are from a single point or sort of interpolating from different points. And can you describe a bit how the tool actually works? Yeah, so there's three main steps um, within DSAT. The first is to calculate an SPI. So you choose the type of SPI you want to look at, a one-month, six-month, or 12-month. Um, all of those are correspond to different types of drought that you're looking at, agricultural or meteorological. And then you choose the starting day or starting month and the starting year and ending year. So that sort of gives you a range of time that you want to look at and calculate your SPIs for. Um, then in the next step, you um, 
are able to take what you've calculated, those SPIs, and um, be able to look at statistics of those. So you're able to look at you're able to look at statistics for a certain boundary. So you choose um, the data that you've processed, and then you choose a certain boundary that you want to look at. For example, like agencies. And then within every single agency, you're able to look at the statistics for that agency. So you can see um, the mean SPI for from April 2014 to current. Um, and then the last step, which is really the um, jazz hands <laughs> step. <laughs> It's the I don't know how to. Is this the time lapse animations? Yeah, yeah. So um, the last step is sort of the shiny step. Um, sort of the. You're quoted as saying it's the bread and butter and the cherry on top. <laughs> yes, it is both the bread and butter, and also the cherry on top, um, and. Within the last step, you're able to visualize the SBIs. So um, sort of addressing that issue of having spatial continuity and coverage, um, you're able to visualize SBI rasters um, on a map, and you're able to overlay different boundaries on top of that. So you can look at the Navajo Nation, political territories, watersheds, ecoregions um, on top of that. And, and over time as well, over seasons or years, that's and right. sort of get a get a sense for the history of drought or rain in the area. Yeah, that's right. So based on the time that you selected in the previous step of the calculate SPI, um, then you're able to look at the time range, and um, you're able to sort of run through time and see the changes seasonally, um, and one other feature that is in there is plot analytics, um, which allows you to look at a certain area um, within a boundary, and you identify that area, and then it breaks it down of how much, what percent of that area is experiencing what type of drought, severely wet, um, severely dry, and everything in between. Okay, so you come in with a lot of this technical expertise and these sophisticated instruments, is it difficult or was it a challenge for you to not appear like you're just imposing your ideas on this community that has been working on monitoring its own water resources? Yeah, I think that um, that's definitely a really big consideration. One, in, when working with the Navajo Nation and in, with different indigenous communities because... You know, a lot of people are very interested in working with different indigenous communities, um, and there's great need, but a lot of groups also go in and um, create something and then sort of depart. And in that, in trying to create a project, it was also how to create a partnership, how to create a long-term partnership, and how to really think about how this project is a stepping stone for other projects to come. Yeah. And so how did you better create that partnership? How did you sort of approach them? I know you made some videos. Were those helpful? 
yeah, so to better build some of those that partnership, um, one, we had lots and lots of telecons, which is always a lot of fun because you get to talk to people without seeing their face. That's a teleconference? Yeah, it's a teleconference. <laughs> telecons. So we had lots of telecons, but in addition, um, we wanted to make some videos that uh, sort of explained our project and something that we could use to explain our project, but also they could use to explain our partnership and where we're going. And so one of the things that I wanted to do with the videos was to sort of take out our narration as much as possible and to use more of their narration Um, because no one can really describe a problem more than the person and people that are actually experiencing it. Mm -hmm. So um, I hopped on the phone. I asked Teresa Shoa, one of the principal hydrologists, if I could interview her. And at first she was like, "Um, you want to what? And I was like, can I interview you for a video? And she's like, you're making a video? And I was like, just trust me, it's all going to work out. She's like, does my face have to be on it? And I was like, no, your face doesn't have to be on it. Um, Yeah, I think you should explain the videos a little more because they're very creative. I guess the idea came, I remember trying to think about how we could create a video and what it would look like. And I was thinking about like how we could get imagery, um, what type of images we would use in video and all of that. And... In thinking about that, one, the thing with use, with remote sensing and with using satellites is that uh, remote sensing implies that it's remote. So you actually aren't there. Like we work in California uh, while the nomination is mostly in Arizona. So I was trying to think, how could we collect date? How could we collect film? How could we collect sound? How could we get these sort of technical details of a video? And I was kind of hitting a wall because I'm like, well, we aren't out there. We won't be able to make it out there just to shoot anything. Um, And that would take a lot of time, too, and resources that we don't have. And um, at the same time, um, one of my friends, Abby Van Musen, was teaching a decal um, here at UC Berkeley. And a decal is a student course. That's right. It's a student-led course. And she teaches this decal on how to take notes and how to illustrate your notes. So you ended up making these, like, beautiful watercolor videos. Mm -hmm. And this was inspired by Abby Van Mugen. Yeah, so Abby does these really great watercolor videos, and it's sort of in everything's in motion. So you're watching this hand move across the screen, painting all of these different images and transitioning from one scene to another. I was really inspired by her work because I thought it was a really great way to, one, explain something because you're watching this blank canvas turn into something. And then at the same time, you're also watching one idea transform into another idea, transform into another idea, transform into another idea. So in a way, it was like, how do we connect all the dots in a project? You know, How do we explain the issue? How do we explain what we're trying to address, how do we explain what we're trying to develop, um, the tool that we're trying to develop, how do we explain the technical things without being too technical. One of the solutions is make it pretty, right? Nobody can refuse a pretty, pretty picture. And when the viewer watches the picture appear, 
they get a better sense of how everything is connected. And I think we have a bit of the audio to share here today. Of course, the listeners won't get the full experience, but for that, they can go on YouTube and check out the video at NASA Develop, Beyond a Shadow of a Drought. If you leave on a task to go monitor water, if you leave Fort Defiance, Window Rock area, you have to drive all the way four or five hours to some of these sites. And, you know, they do that every month. We you know, would like to cut back to where we could manage a few of the sites and possibly some could be managed by remote sensing. If we could get some of our data remotely, you know, and religiously, it would help our program tremendously. So one of the things that we want to do is to show the Navajo leadership that when we get emergency drought dollars, where do we concentrate the resources? The way it is right now is that every time we have a drought emergency, drought mitigation dollars get equally distributed to all 110 chapters. We want to make sure that the drought mitigation dollars go to the chapters that need it the most. With our tool, water managers like Robert and Teresa can better understand which agencies are in a greater state of drought. Through using NASA Earth observations, drought mitigation resources can be focused in the places where they're needed the most. It really is a wonderful work. Did you find it useful for your project to have to integrate it with a storyboard and with the music? Yeah, definitely. Um, it, w- it was really helpful because that storyboard served for our outline for our papers. It served for our outline for our presentations. Um, so you took the video storyboard and then turned it into a academic paper. Yeah, and then we just filled in like technical details and all of the other stuff that we needed to put in there. Wow, that's a pretty good idea. Yeah, because you're drawing, you're literally drawing out all of the details. And if you can explain it to somebody that, that's walking down the street, and that street being the internet, then you can explain it definitely to any of your peers. And so this really helped you with the community, um, with the Navajo Nation, to help them understand your abilities at NASA? Yeah, I think so, because... I mean, one of the things is people are always asking, well, what's NASA doing here? Um, I've had the fortune of traveling some with Cindy Schmidt to um, another reservation, the Apache Reservation. And I I don't think I've ever been asked that in my whole life, Um, the number of times I've been asked that. Like, uh, so what's NASA doing here? Um, And it was a way that um, for the video to be used in a way, the video could be used by our partners in the Navajo Nation to explain what they're trying to use the tool for um, to different people that are visiting the Department of Resource- Water Resources. It's a really easy and shareable medium, and it takes not a lot of time to watch. So now that you've sort of built the partnership, um, or at least established some measure of, of partnership, 
what has been the give and take like on the project of improving their water monitoring? When you're creating something, you want that give and take because you want to improve it. You want it, you're creating something for an end user. And so in these later stages of the project, um, in these later stages of the project, I've mostly been working with Carl McCullen, who's um, a senior hydrologist. And um, he's actually the main, going to be the main person using um, DSAT, the tool that we're developing. We'll show him, like, this is what we've been trying out. This is what we've been testing. How does this look? Um, and then he'll say, that looks great. Or he'll, we'll be installing things on his computer or walking him through installations um, <clears throat> or troubleshooting things on his computer with him. And he'll screen share his screen. And um, we'll just sort of have this back and forth. And we meet pretty much weekly to do so. So what have you been learning through the partnership? I think what we've been learning is how can this tool actually be used? You know, we go through the ups and downs of like, is this going to be used at all? Is all of this effort even going to be worth anything? Um, and then we go through these highs of like, oh, this is going to change everything. And, you know, Carl even says that too. He'll be like, this is going to be like historic. And so why is it going to be so historic? In his words, it's going to change the way that they do things. The idea is that it'll change the way that they'll be able to calculate those SPI values and report those SPI values, indicating how dry an area is or the degree of drought that an area is experiencing so that you can tell the difference between one area and another area and be able to send drought relief dollars to one area versus another area. How have they been allocating drought relief dollars um, before this project? So the Navajo Nation is split up to agencies, which are equivalent to states, and they divide it equally amongst all of the states. So you can think of that in the U.S. That wouldn't really make sense because certain areas are inherently more dry um, and inherently more wet, but some areas are going to experience way more drought than other areas. And so it's the same thing in the Navajo Nation. We want to be able to look at where areas are experiencing the most drought. Mm, so you'll be able to target the dollars exactly for those areas that need it most. Yeah, exactly. And that goes back to one of the main things that we wanted to address in this project is the ability to um, say that one area is is experiencing more drought than another. Um, because besides collecting rain gauge data, the Navajo Nation currently uses um, SPI values calculated by the Western Regional Climate Center. That's really long mouthful. But basically... That only splits the Navajo Nation up into three different values. So you're having three values to explain um, an area that's as large as West Virginia. And those values are explaining what degree of drought in er each area is ex experiencing versus having any finer detail of splitting it up by agencies or chapters or watersheds or any other boundary. So is the Department of Water Resources retaining any of its old methodology? Um, or how is it integrating what it has previously been working on with the new DSAT? In taking the next steps, that's sort of what we're thinking about. How, do, how does this tool fit into the current methodology? And 
Um, so does it make sense to keep on using the Western Regional Climate Center calculations? Does it make sense to use DSAT? In what context? Does it make sense to use it just for monthly? Does it make sense to use it to calculate statistics? Does it make sense just to use the raster map? That's sort of something that we're trying to figure out right now in these later stages. And it's it's really interesting because I feel like we're finally getting to a stage where it's becoming a little bit more real. You know, it's it's being tested, it's being used. And the next step is really, well, how is it going to be used? How is it actually going to be imp- implemented? And how will sort of the downstream effects change because of that? It's kind of interesting because I think it's going to be kind of a lot of trial and error from here on out. Um, hmm. And it's going to take some experimentation. And But there is a lot of promise. One of the exciting things that this project will be a part of is a larger Indigenous Peoples Initiative um, working title, acronym to be created, um, that is a partnership between NASA and um, different Indigenous communities. In that initiative, um, the idea is really to to create a space where NASA can be become a facilitator with different communities. How do we bring tools? How do we create projects together? How do we create these long-term partnerships um, where we're educating um, the youth, we're educating um, college students, we're engaging community members and creating projects that are meaningful, culturally um, significant, sort of environmentally important. So not just drought. You might be moving on to whatever is relevant for that particular community. Yeah, definitely. I think that there's a lot of opportunity to expand much more. And the idea is sort of to get coverage across the U.S. So having the Southwest pocket um, with the Navajo Nation and the Apache and working in the Southeast as well as in Lake country as well as in um, the Pacific Northwest. All of these different areas are experiencing different types of environmental change. And so with that brings a lot of opportunity for us to be involved and um, to create different projects and collaborations. So y'all at NASA Develop have tried to, you know, make this very accessible, I guess, and a, uh, a great user interface, which maybe scientists don't typically develop, um, and having open source code put up on GitHub. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about those projects and what was the motivation behind creating open source code? Yeah, I guess, I mean, the idea behind NASA capacity building and a lot of the initiatives that we have in applied sciences is working with the public and serving the public. And um, in that, I mean, the idea when we're creating this is how do we, how do we get this in other people's hands? How do we, how ca- how can we, can we use this in other areas? I mean, so many different parts of the world are experiencing drought, and if that can be used in other areas, more the better. Yeah. So you have it in open source and coded in the program language R. Mm-hmm, which is also free and open source. And that's sort of the, one of the ideas, too, behind it is is working when working with different communities, you want to make things available. You don't want to create 
things where you have to have certain software programs that may be more expensive. Um, so one of the intentions behind that was what can we use out there that is free and open source and virtually anybody anywhere could download it and be able to use it. Thank you so much, Vicky, for coming in today. It's so great to hear about your project. We're excited for where, where it's headed. Thanks, Nick. And if you'd like to learn more about NASA Develop and their other projects, you can check out their YouTube page at NASA Develop, or you can visit their website at develop.larc.nasa.gov.